Hi, I'm Jenny Walkup. Welcome to the Wedge Podcast. This is the first episode of a podcast project exploring uh, what it's like to be an anti-occupation Jew. So thank you, Matt, for being on with me. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. You're welcome. So, can you tell me a little bit about your growing up and how you came to be anti-occupation? Um, yeah, so growing up, I did not think about Israel or Palestine much. Uh, in Hebrew school, uh, you know, they showed us maps. They said, there's this country. Uh, it is there. It is good. Uh, there have been wars to protect it, and you know, largely, I think, in Hebrew school, in, in much of my Jewish education as a kid, I wasn't really interested in being there. I was a kid in school, and I was interested in playing baseball and not going to Hebrew school. And so I didn't listen to that a lot. Um, I didn't have strong feelings on the occupation, to hear that word. I just heard that like Israel existed and it was good. First time I ever really thought about this was in college. Uh, it was in a human rights class, and I was asked to do a paper exploring the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict and whether or not like there were like human rights abuses. And I did a little research, and then I found that the International Court of Human Rights had found that there, in fact, were uh, like violations of human rights, and didn't understand why I like, didn't know this before, and didn't understand why I was being asked to write a paper like there were both sides of the story. It was just, yes, yes, they they are violating human rights. A, a international court has found this. Why haven't people been talking about this? I didn't discover this. I Googled for about two minutes, and I discovered this. So why has this not been fixed? And that was the first time that I started, you know, thinking more about this issue and, and how there's something that's pretty wrong there. Did you feel like this was information that you could like take back to your Jewish community or did you just not feel particularly connected to them at that point? Or I uh, did not feel particularly connected to my Jewish community. Um, and certainly, you know, when I had talked about this uh, with family, it, you know, they disagreed with me. They told me how I, I didn't, it was more complicated than that, and I didn't understand. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common refrain. So complicated. So you said you grew up and you were in school. Were you in, like, a day school or a Hebrew school? I didn't go to any of those institutions, so I'm just kind of curious about what mm -hmm. what that experience was like. Oh, I, so I went to, uh, I mean, I went to, like, you know, normal school public school for elementary middle school and high school I did go to a, a Jewish preschool uh, like the uh, JCC had a preschool they have those and my mom taught at it and was one of my teachers oh and uh, then uh, went to like growing up then went to like on Tuesdays and Sundays went to Hebrew school um, where I learned you know uh, prayers and 
history of Israel and things like that. So you went to these schools. You sort of learned that Israel is great and cool and good, does excellent things all the time. And you went to college and you found some conflicting evidence. And how did you start getting involved in activism on this topic? Because I know you're you're pretty into it. Pretty into it. Man. I uh, took me a long time to get to this issue. Um, I had like vague understandings of wanting to do good in the world growing up and in college and pretty vague and really didn't understand uh, much. Uh, and then when I graduated, I went to work on a political campaign in Missouri uh, to help elect Senator Claire McCaskill in 2012, uh, helped like organize people to get out and knock doors in pretty rural and uh, traditionally Republican areas of Missouri where people often told me like, I'm the only Democrat around here, you know, there's no, no bother, like, not going to find anyone and managed to get a lot of people out to knock doors, uh, despite that. And like on the election night, people looked at each other and they felt like they had done something and you know, they won, uh, in, you know, counties where Democrats don't win. And, you know, it was like a hundred something volunteers who like I helped bring into that. And that was really cool. And it was really cool. Those people thought they made a difference through collective action. Um, but then I left town the next day and the thing we built fell apart and they helped elect a politician who then went to DC to work on stuff that was like not what they elected her to do. Um, she went to go to DC to like be the most moderate Senator and work for that. And, they worked to knock doors for her because like they couldn't afford health care and because you know the changes they wanted to see in life and she went to dc uh to stop changes from happening uh and Fuck. i thought it was weird that we built that power and then gave it to somebody else and then like let that power that people formed through collective action disappear um and so you know, through that, uh, I found my way to like working for union, because uh, I thought like, where does power that people build stay with people? And then like, after several years of thinking a lot more about power, and thinking a lot more about like oppression and struggle and movements, um, and realizing uh, a lot more about like the way that things tend to happen in this world that we live in. Um, I was uh, walking at the People's Pride Parade in uh, Pittsburgh in, I think, 2017. And um, uh, at the end of it, there was, like, people who were tabling with their different groups, and I saw a sign that said, Hey, Queer Jews, like, in sparkly letters. And I was like, wow, that is that is really specific to me. I'm going to go say <laughs> hey to those people. And then I did, and I knew some of them. And uh, they were like, you know, hey, we're with this group called If Not Now. Um, we're a bunch of queer Jews. We're having a training in a few weeks. You should come to it. And I was like, no, I'm really busy. You know, I can't do that. But 
then I got talked into it, and so since then, um, you know, it's become more and more a thing I've gotten involved in just by the nature of it at first, I think starting from a point of like, I'm a person who spends a lot of my time thinking about like organizing and movements and has particular skills. Like y'all know this issue. I don't know it. Um, but I do know how to help like make stuff done, get stuff done. So I, I will lend you my skills. And you know, after, uh, when you start thinking about this issue, you start getting pretty angry and, and seeing a lot of things that are wrong. And, um, I've started seeing a lot of things that are wrong and getting angry about it. And, you know, continuously, as I've seen things that are wrong, you know, started to care more and more about this and, and not be just like someone who's like, yeah, this is good. You, you're doing good work. I can help you, you know, put stuff on social media, but like really care deeply about the issue. So talking about things that make you angry, I know there's something that's been making you real pissed off these past two weeks. Do you want to tell me about it? Yeah. Um, so I live in Pittsburgh. My mayor is Bill Peduto. Um, Bill Peduto, you know, got elected to mayor of Pittsburgh, pretending to be like this big progressive stalwart and, and really loves like national press about how progressive he is. And I used to think he was pretty progressive, but when it comes down to it, like, that is not what he is. Um, and so last summer, like, uh, you know, a little less than a year ago, a uh, 17-year-old black kid in Pittsburgh was uh, running away from a police officer and shot three times in the back and murdered. Um, his name was Anton Rose Jr. And... Mayor Bill Peduto's first uh, thing he said about this publicly was that, like, that didn't happen in Pittsburgh, so it's not his fault, even though it happened, like, in a borough of Pittsburgh or, like, a, a borough right outside of Pittsburgh where uh, black families, uh, you know, kind of being priced out of Pittsburgh and that's where they're moving um, and where, regardless, like, of his authority, that was the first thing he thought was to, like, cover his ass. Um Anyway, so there was a lot of there was a lot of protest about that, and you know he, uh, you know, his police force arrested people, his police force uh, hurt people, his police force did nothing when, you know, protest I was at got uh, drove through by like, uh, like someone ran over people, you know, and instead of going to catch that person, they lined up in riot gear in front of the you know people that were protesting the murder of a black child. Anyways, so setting the stage for this. Yeah. I I remember when that was happening in Pittsburgh and I was working for this organization where I was like working with a lot of black youth on college preparedness and I remember having this thought like this could have been one of my kids that I work with every day and a lot of the kids I worked with knew Antoine and also this wasn't the first person their age in their community that had been shot and killed um and that 
was really jarring for me. And I went to the some of the protests, and I remember seeing some of my students there and just being like, oh, I'm worried that you're here and there's all these police here and I'm worried about your safety. And at the same time, I'm like really proud that you're here and standing up for yourselves. And yeah. Yeah. That was really challenging. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I uh, think for anybody in Pittsburgh, that was a moment that uh, it like hurt to watch that happening, um, to see it happen to a kid in our city and the reaction. Um, and it's not the first time that's happened in Pittsburgh. Uh, so, you know, I said that to kind of set the yeah. stage for, I just think there's a disproportionate, uh, disproportionality of, of his response that's been making me pretty angry for many months. So, um, on... Of Bill Peduto's response? Yes. So, I believe it was October 27th, um, when, you know, Robert Bowers walked into the Tree of Life on a Saturday morning during Shabbat services and yelled, all Jews must die, and killed uh, 11 people and injured many more. Um, and when, like, two hours before that, he posted on a social media site called Gab and said, I forget the exact words, but, you know, um, they're bringing invaders in here. Um, it's not okay. You know, fuck your optics, I'm going in. And two weeks before that, I had posted about how, like, uh, specifically about how the Hebrew Immigrants Aid Society was, uh, you know, having events with refugees uh, at the Tree of Life. Um and then, you know, takes that motivation of a combination of xenophobia and anti-Semitism, which is how those things function together, um, you know, and goes and murders, you know, 11 people. It's horrifying. It's incredibly scary. And it's also, you know, I just knew so soon after, was furious about how that that happened, and I was furious that I knew that there's going to be a disproportionate response. That people were going to stand up and and fight for, you know, as as rightfully should to fight for, um, to, to fight anti-Semitism. But like when black folks are killed in Pittsburgh, there's a lot of people that were silent. That you know. Uh, Bill Peduto didn't hold a, a citywide rally for Antoine Rose. He did, you know, after the Tree of Life. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that were in the streets when uh, Donald Trump came to town to protest him that I didn't see when, you know, uh, Antoine Rose was murdered by a police officer. And there's a lot of people that were talking about it, Bill Bududo especially, that were talking about this like this was only an act of hate against Jews, when we know that you know this was also an act of xenophobia, that we cannot fight anti-Semitism if we only fight for the safety of Jews. 
particularly, you know, only the safety of Jews who are white. Uh, and so for a while, he's been, for me, this symbol of, uh, you know, I look, looked at what he's been doing and it, it felt like when Rudy Giuliani tried to become America's mayor after 9-11, you know, he is going all over the place to talk about how he's fighting anti-Semitism and didn't see that. Can you back up for just yes. one moment? Because I want to delve into, actually, I learned this obnoxious advertising lingo. I want to double click, you know, to zoom in on... You're saying that you can't fight anti-Semitism without also fighting these other forms of xenophobia. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that some. Yes. Because I kind of think I understand, like, where you're going and what your thought process is. But I just want to, like, double click. Sure. Um, thank you for asking, you know, for that elaboration. I mean, so this is something that, like... I am still learning. It is not a thing that I know, you know, I'm an expert on because I did not grow up learning about how white supremacy functions or how white nationalism functions, or uh, I just learned my anti-Semitism education was, you know, the Holocaust happened and it was bad. Um, and so, you know, uh, the way that anti-Semitism has functioned like throughout history is that um, Jews, uh, hatred of Jews is often tied to like hatred of others. Uh, and especially because uh, throughout history, many Jewish populations, you know, have been people who've been uh, banished from one country and then fled to another and then banished from one country and then fled to another. And so uh, Jews, were often seen as outsiders and uh, as, uh, you know, people who weren't from a place. But at the same time, in many like European countries, white Jews were able to uh, appear somewhat more like the white population of uh, those countries. And, but at the same time, have solidarity for people who, you know, have experienced that same flight and oppression. And so, you know, the way that manifests today in white nationalism in America is like there's this theory that's pretty popular among, you know, the alt-right uh, and sort of more, I wouldn't even separate them, but like, you know, modern Nazis um, that, you know, they, they feel like that there is a white genocide happening, that white people, uh, as they define whiteness, which is they would say that I'm not white because I'm Jewish. Um, so they they think that there's a white genocide happening, that like uh, immigrants, black people, that uh, Jews are like going to wipe out white people and they're losing their rights because other people are gaining equality. And, uh, but at the same time they see like, their race as the supreme race. So, you know, under that logic, if they're the best and they're losing, there has to be something that's causing that. Um, and their uh, common rationale for what's causing that is Jews. Because uh, 
I, as like a white Jew, I can look like them and I get the benefits of whiteness. Um, but also there's, you know, so like going back to this concrete example, right. Um, you know, the, uh, folks at the synagogue at tree of life, um, held an, uh, held an event with the Hebrew immigrant aid society, which has a long history of, uh, refugee aid and service work, uh, held, I think it was a refugee Shabbat and, Robert Bauer saw that as an example of Jews conspiring to bring invaders into this country. And he saw that as like a threat to him and to the white race. Um, and so, you know, and literally like he was, you know, talking about like the caravan and conspiracy theories about the caravan and white genocide uh, being aided by Jews. Uh, and cons Jews conspiring to, you know, make that happen, to facilitate that. I think a, a common term used by, uh, you know, Nazis like that is like the race traitor, um, is, you know, this is just a concrete manifestation of this wasn't, this was not an act of pure hatred against Jews motivated solely by hatred against Jews. This was an act of, uh, hatred against Jews because Jews have had, you know, the, the, he saw a, a group of Jews that, um, you know, had solidarity with other oppressed people. And, you know, so, I mean, there's a pretty concrete uh, example in history, right, of like what it looks like to seek so, uh, safety only for the Jewish people or only for one group of people. And, uh, you know, find our safety through the oppression of others or turning our uh, back against the oppression of others, right? There's a pretty famous poem about, like, you know, first they came from the communists and I didn't say anything because I wasn't a communist. Then they came from the for the trade unionists and I didn't say anything because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I didn't say anything because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Um that poem is not meaningless. It actually means something. And it means that like, we can only find our safety through solidarity, through standing up for each other and through like rejecting white supremacy and white nationalism, uh, or, you know, rejecting the idea entirely of finding safety for any group of people, uh, by neglecting the safety of another group of people. Um, and so, you know, Knowing all that, when Bill Peduto talks about how he's fighting anti-Semitism and doesn't, you know, doesn't like say the words white supremacy in his op-ed in the New, you know New York Daily News that he, it's just offensive. It's horrifying and it's not okay. And it's not okay. It doesn't make it okay that like he's co-writing that with uh you know a member of the Jewish community who is like leading an institution that. Uh, promotes this idea of uh, safety for the Jewish community over, uh, like, at the cost of other communities. Yeah, I think one of the other things I think about, um, I think a lot about this article, Skin in the Game. Did you ever read that? No. I've heard of it. 
Um, you should. It's, yeah, so it's this guy, Eric Ward, and he, um, I think he might be a sociologist, but he's a black man from California who went to school in Washington and was involved in the punk scene. And it's an article about the way that white supremacists and, like, neo-Nazis that he knew in the punk scene defined their, like, race science-based, which is, like, total bullshit, but they're, mm-hmm. like, philosophy about how races work and the world works and, like, why they hated black people with anti-Semitism is a crucial component, and it's this argument that, like, we have to work together to take this shit down. Um, so, I'll send Thank that you. to you. And I'll post it with the episode. Great. Um, so this is like a long setup that I've gone through to sort of set the stage for Bill Pedito's uh, most recent act of just infuriating this. So he, a um, couple weeks ago, uh, Bibi Netanyahu announced a coalition with a group of folks, uh, you know, sort of uh, un- who follow a tradition of politics in Israel called Kahanism. Uh, I believe it's named after a man named Mir Kahan, who was a Jewish supremacist, who believed that uh, sort of the extreme uh, extent of Jewish commu- of Jews finding their safety at the expense of other people. Um, and, you know, when you compare his policies to basically the Nuremberg laws, they look pretty similar. Um, you know, outright, he basically said the quiet part out loud that like he wanted uh, Jews to have rights and people who aren't Jews not have rights in Israel. Um, they wanted Israel to be a country of Jews and for Jews, for Jews only. And, you know, uh, Israel, a country in the act of occupying uh, an entire people uh, and country uh, without like giving them sovereignty for at that point uh, several decades right uh, even this country uh, said this guy is too racist and you know <laughs> passed a law making like his political party illegal in Israel and uh, you know they kept organizing though uh, the Kahanas did, and um, one of his good friends and followers uh, in 1994, I believe it was, um, walked into a Palestinian uh, temple. Um, I believe it's called like the uh, Ibrahimi uh, Massacre. I want to double check that, but yeah. So this guy walked into a walked into a, a mosque uh, during Ramadan and killed 29 people, injured 122 more. And, you know. That's awful. Yeah. Uh, and he did it because he wanted Palestinians to die. He wanted all Palestinians to die and to get out of Israel. And, you know, much like Robert Bowers, uh, he had made this clear. 
And, you know, uh, not to compare massacres, but he killed more people. That, he killed a good bit more people than, than Robert Bowers did. And, you know, a lot of people in Israel condemned that, but also a lot of people celebrated it. And in particular, um, you know, Kahanas uh, are like lionized that man and see him as a hero. And, you know, so uh, 15 years later, almost on the 15th anniversary of that shooting, uh, the Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, uh, announced uh, that he was going to he was forming a coalition with the parties who carry on that political tradition uh, in an effort to win the Israeli elections on April 2nd. And, you know, like this it's parliamentary politics, so it's a little bit different than like how we think of elections in America. But basically, like, you know, their parties are trying to get enough votes. And so they create coalitions and they're going to share votes. And so. You know, a, a vote for Netanyahu is a vote for Kahanism, and a vote for Kahanism is a vote for Netanyahu. And, like, they've made deals that will empower uh, people in that party if they win, uh, that are a, part, a political party which is identified by the U.S. State Department as terrorists. Um, that even APAC came out and denounced them and said it is against their policy to meet with them. Now, they, you know, didn't have the courage to name uh, Netanyahu in that criticism, but literally even, like, there is no American Jewish group that did not come out and condemn them. So, two day, like, a and few days after that announcement, Bill Peduto said... Wait, wait, wait. APAC. <laughs> What's APAC? Uh, APAC is the uh, American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. Um... They are one of the foremost uh, forces in uh, American politics and particularly, you know, in the American Jewish community's politics uh, for supporting Israel. And, you know, them along with uh, KUFI, which is the Christians United for Israel, uh, have really, you know, been the, the organizations which made uh, support, support for Israel and military support for Israel in unquestioning support for Israel in the occupation of Palestine, uh, a political consensus, a bipartisan project in America. And, uh, you know, APAC very much uh, sort of uh, leverages and, and, and makes the argument that uh, Support for Israel is support for Jews, and opposition to Israel is opposition to Jews. Um, a premise which I disagree with, uh, because I am not from Israel. I have no say in the uh, governance of that country, um, and it's offensive to me for anybody to say that like it is harm to me to criticize a country which is you know. Uh, committing human rights abuses and occupying a country and, uh, you know, uh, committing war crimes. So, um, would you just out of curiosity, um, for point of contention, 
Uh, would you say it's offensive to you to say that criticizing the United States is criticizing you? Oh, that's a good point. I wouldn't. Yeah, I would also say that, is, like, criticizing is United States is not criticizing me. Um, and yeah, I think I I don't want uh the actions of really any government to like be claim to be the actions of uh, a citizen of that government, particularly when that government's like democracy is not functioning well. And when like the actions of that government tend to not in any way reflect the public opinion of that country. Um, yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think that like the, the reason I find it offensive to like say that criticizing Israel is anti-Semitism is it I mean it it says that like that the project that Israel is you know embarked upon of like occupying a people for over 50 years and you know keeping them without land without rights without a, a country without sovereignty without you know passports uh for over 50 years sorry Palestinians may be able to get passports um, yes. Well, it depends, but. But, um, nonetheless, like, don't have a lot of rights and don't have, uh, you know, often like the home that people grew up in. Um, and yeah, to say that like that is a project that is, uh, my project is hurtful. I don't support that at all. <laughs> um, and I don't want, yeah. I don't want responsibility for that. I don't want blame for that. Yeah. One of the things I find really jarring as like a Jewish person is how much the Jewish community talks about our own trauma and the Holocaust and, uh, the Inquisition and all of these things that are witch hunts also, uh, to some extent, really true and really horrible. And how clear the similarities are between, like, ghettoization of Jews in Germany and building a wall around the West Bank, around Gaza, um... And forcing people to walk through a checkpoint and controlling access to water and imprisonment, um, arresting children um, at night, which is a scary time to arrest children. I don't know why that's extra scary to me. Um, I guess it's because they're kidnapping. They're not just mm -hmm. arresting. But... I find it so jarring that people would be so opposed to this historical, like, treatment of Jews and also a lot of times so opposed to things that are happening in the United States that are analogous, something like the, uh, like, child detention centers that we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. And also not see the similarities between that and the way that Jews are 
oppressing Palestinian people and also like Arab Jews, <laughs> like people who might like pass as brownish. Um, I just think it's really fucked up and it makes me feel like, I don't know, like critical thinking is one of those things I think about as being a really important Jewish value to me, maybe more than, you know, a lot of the religious stuff. Mm -hmm. To me, my like cultural Judaism is often grounded in like questioning and like thinking through things critically and like, uh, pushing for justice and like trying to save the world. And that conflicts so deeply with the actions of the state of Israel. I find it really mm -hmm. offensive that people would expect me to support the actions of this nation state. Yeah. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. Um, also, Israel's younger than my grandma. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. It hasn't been around forever. Um, this state has not been there forever. And yet, uh, a lot of American Jewish institutions act like it is a core tenant of the religion that has been around for thousands of years. Uh, and that's just not, it's not the case. I mean, the, the support for Israel in America, like, hasn't even, uh, been this strong for the entire existence of Israel. Um, but yeah, so back to the, uh, and there were all these debates, like early Zionists were debating where to move all the Jews to and Israel was on the list, but it was like, at that time it was Palestine on the list, mm -hmm. but not like there were heated debates about right. that. Yeah. There's an embracing of like the history of this country, um, to, build this myth of like the uh you know jewish uh the land without a people for a people without a land yeah, yeah there, there was a people on that land um anyway yeah. um so this is the most roundabout tale of bill Pedito, and so this Disgusting party of uh, extremist, racist, uh, you know, horrible fascist, terrorist political party, um, you know, is being condemned by everybody. And at the same time, Bill Batuto announces proudly that he's going to Israel on a, for a conference hosted by the Israeli foreign ministry, uh, which again, you know, is uh, currently controlled by uh, Netanyahu's party. Um, and so he, like, amidst, like, widespread condemnation from around the world and from, you know, in America, in the Jewish community, of Netanyahu's actions, um, Bill Peduto goes to Israel for a conference of mayors from around the world and says he's doing that to uh, honor the victims at Tree of Life. And... That's gross. Predictably, like, 
Netanyahu goes around the world all the time saying like he is, you know, fighting anti-Semitism. And then, you know, when uh, a white nationalist shooter inspired by Trump uh, kills Jews and says, you know, all Jews must die and is the largest anti-Semitic attack in American history um, or largest, uh, you know, mass shooting of Jews in American history. Um, Netanyahu is nowhere to be found because, you know, him and Trump are best buddies. And, you know, the, the line from, from Netanyahu and from Neftali Bennett, um, the Minister of Education of Israel and the Minister of Diaspora, um, was that, like, Israel, this is why it's so important that you have Israel, you know. Um, and so instead of condemning Trump and, and condemning white nationalism, you know, they just, they're silent and they supported Trump. They stood with him. And so like his whole, Netanyahu's whole shtick is like, uh, politically profiting from, uh, anti-Semitism, except where it's caused by white nationalism, by fascism. And so like in going to Israel to, uh, to, you know, say he's honoring the fo the folks who were killed at Tree of Life felt to me like Bill Peduto was, you know, lending the trauma of this city and of those people who were killed and my friends who like go to that synagogue who are, you know, still deeply upset, rightfully so, who are mourning, um, you know, and lending it to the political project of uh, bolstering the political career of Bibi Netanyahu, who is in the act of partnering with fascists who promote the same type of rhetoric of xenophobic hatred as Robert Bowers, just for a different people that they're promoting. And it's craven, it's gross. He doesn't, you know, it's disgusting. And, uh, you know, that then he, while he's there, he plants an olive tree in Jerusalem in memory of people who were killed at Tree of Life. And, you know, I, it is hard to, if you don't know about, like, the, you know, what's happening in Israel and Palestine, it is hard to understand just how horrible that is. But Palestinians... We'll get into the olive trees thing on a later episode. Yeah. <laughs> But basically, like Palestinians, you know, have long a uh, deep wealth. Have long like made their living. Uh, a lot of Palestinians have made you know livings from uh, growing olive trees and had you know, uh, you know, from olive farming and, and have orchards of olive trees. And many of them have been burned down uh, by Israeli settlers who are trying to force people out. Many of them are you know, separated by barricades and by check by military checkpoints between, you know, their homes and their livelihood of these farms. And uh, the olive tree is like fairly symbolic of uh, the destruction of like, you know, of uh, Palestinian livelihood. And yeah, well, and also there's this Ottoman era legislation that says that if you do not like farm or take care of your land for I think it's three years, then 
it can be taken by the state and redistributed. Um, so getting rid of olive groves and farming by Palestinians and then blocking those people from accessing that land to replant um, or denying them the water that they might need to replant or whatever um, is a way of actually taking land. <coughs> mm. Wow. Um, so I've got one more way in which, the, you know, Bill Padilla's visit is making me furious. Um, great. So on top of all that, you know, this sort of tied the story back to the beginning, right? Um, Bill Petito, this progressive mayor who, you know, it's fighting anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't go to that conference to fight anti-Semitism. He go into the conference, like this conference is a, a conference for Israel to share its uh, military and policing and, uh, you know, occupation technology is tested on the oppression of Palestinian people. Uh, and, and, you know, sell that to American police forces. And that's what he went there for. And, you know, that's framed in like, you know, Israel is like innovating in safety and public health. Um, they're innovating in tear gas and like, quote unquote, nonviolent weapons for suppressing protests, which, you know, when you, when you look at most of these products, it's like asterisk on nonviolent, like usually not deadly. Um, and, you know, it, it's disgusting. So, like, he goes, it is a, in so many ways, just this encapsulation of, like, taking, uh, you know, like, if, if he speaks, if any, if, like, being silent to that is literally choosing, uh, you know, somebody saying, like, I'm going to fight anti-Semitism over... Uh, pushing back on like a mayor who is going to take those uh, technologies and those, you know, things that he's learning in Israel to uh, come back to Pittsburgh and use those to, uh, you know, like I'm not going to face the brunt of uh, whatever, you know, less than lethal weapons he brings back to Pittsburgh. Uh, it's going to be like the immigrant community of Pittsburgh. It's going to be the black community of Pittsburgh. Uh, who see that and yeah it's just disgusting it's disgusting to like say that he's going there to fight anti-semitism because um again you know um new technologies to uh oppress the black community of pittsburgh and like quash protest is not fighting anti-semitism it's enabling yeah. White supremacist policing? Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to take a brief break, and we're going to come back for a segment I've decided to call Memes from My Bobby. I cannot wait. Welcome back. It's time for Memes from My Bobby. I got two options for you, um, with the caveat that one of these comes from my bobby, and the other ones generally come to a, from a series of boomer Jewish Facebook pages that I have created a fake account to follow. Um, <laughs> so, um. Why did you create a fake account? 
Well, because I realized that um, I didn't want to, like, follow nine different secret... Well, because a lot of them are secret groups, first of all. And second of all, I did not want to follow all of these groups on my Facebook account, because then everyone would be like, oh, Jenny loves... I love Israel forever. She's the best, <laughs> you know? Um, okay. So... Uh, the options are, you know what? We're not gonna do, uh, no, we're gonna do two. We're starting with this one. Can you see this? Yes. Can you describe what you see to me? Oh, God. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is November 12th, 2018. I, so I this noticed. Is just <laughs> a week or two after yes. the Tree of Life shooting. So I'm looking at a screenshot of a Facebook uh, post, which includes a graphic and some text. Uh, the post is from the Israel Project uh, and is made on November 12th, 2018. Um, and, and so the image uh, is, uh, it's got a yellow background and then a black shield, which reminds me, just like looks very reminiscent of a police badge. <coughs> and yellow text on it says, I support Israel's right to protect her citizens. And then it has a Star of David. Um, and then the text says, Israel is under attack. That's in all caps. Oh, so, um, very important. sorry, you should read it more accurately. Israel is under attack. <laughs> um, sorry. Semicolon. <laughs> Nonstop rockets fired from Gaza towards Israel. 19 injured. At least one house hit. Two people in critical condition. Israel has every right to defend her citizens. For now, Hamas launched over 200 rockets. 60 rockets have been in intercepted by Iron Dome. Israel is crying out. The world must hear Israel's pain and break its silence. Go to Israel... No, you don't have to read that, because people... I don't want to send people to that website. Okay. So, I have thoughts about yes. this. Um, I thought you might. Okay. So, one thing is, I, I don't know if this color choice was intentional, but... When people talk about, like, the persecution of Jews or the harm of Jews and they use a yellow Star of David, that kind of jumps out to me. Yellow Star of David's being used in uh, Germany, in Nazi Germany, to, you know, people had to wear those on their yeah. clothes. I, I didn't even think of that. Just that, that's always a thing which jumps out to me. Um, also, this thing that jumped out to me with, like, the, uh, you know, uh, Pittsburgh strong graphic or whatever it was where they like used the Steelers uh, stars. They chose the of the three stars. They chose the yellow star. Um, that was the star of David. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. They could have chosen <clears throat> the blue one. But so, um, is there a sorry? blue one? No, there's not. It's red and black. Never mind. So, um. I remember this, um, you know, uh, we got fairly close to a, um, to a, an another war in Gaza, which, you know, 
there was uh, a lot of uh, violence that happened, um, you know, which uh, I don't remember the exact timeline of, but like, you know, um, fairly reminiscent uh, like of, it was, you know, I believe it was provoked by Israel military action. And then like, obviously they, you know, claim self-defense. Um, but, uh, I will show you, I will return your meme with a meme. Oh, yes. Um, show me this meme. And I, I want to say one more thing about this. Is this is my response. Which is to me. Okay. Well, first of all, this has over 5,000 shares. Um, and I think it's weird to refer, refer to Israel as she. As in, Israel has every yeah. right to defend her citizens. That's weird to me. Uh, I just don't <coughs> like it when inanimate objects are female. It's weird. Uh, the other thing is, this is black and yellow. Oh. Which are the, the Pittsburgh oh, colors. And this is... That's the thing that stands out to me, is that this is making a choice to reflect on what happened in Pittsburgh and to suggest that that is related to Israel's right to protect her citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let me see your meme. Uh, the other thing that jumps out to me is that, like, the world uh, is crying out for, what was it, you know? The um, world must hear Israel's pra- uh, pain and break its silence. Yeah, well, also, just like, you know, I'm, I am, it is horrible that those people were injured. Yeah. And I'm glad that nobody died. Uh, but, like, you know, this follows the numbers of a disproportionate history of violence where, like, you know, uh, if you look at the death tolls from, like, every Gaza war, um, it's just clear in every single exchange that, like, <coughs> you know, uh, one side of, you know, this conflict is, is being killed in much larger numbers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so in, th- in that particular sort of clash, uh, Seven Palestinian, uh, at least seven Palestinians, according to Wikipedia, were killed, and one Israeli sh- soldier. Okay, I, I wish nobody died, but uh, you know, it, it's an example of how like this violence is disproportionate. So, anyways, um, are you ready for my? Oh meeting? yes, give it to me. Okay. Um. I am sharing my screen. This is this a meme? Yes. Okay. This is a type of meme I've never seen in my life. It's a timeline. Mm-hmm. And it extends from 2008 to 2021. Um, oh, shit. So, on here, um, major clashes between the Israeli military and 
Palestinian people have been recorded um, in red. And above that, um, they've marked when elections are in Israel. And those are Israeli elections, I assume. Yes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and they're uh, just about on top of each other. So looks like just about every time, about... Three, two, zero months before election day, there is a major offense. Uh, so in 2009, you have Operation uh, Lead Cast. In 2013, you have Operation Pillar of Defense. Uh, in 2014, you have Operation Protective Edge, uh, which comes about, it looks like, six months before the 2015 elections. Um, and then in 2019, you have those Israeli-Gaza clashes that we were just talking about um, in preparation for the upcoming election. Great. I'm not sure that was a meme. So... But... It was upsetting. It 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 will be a meme, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So that I mean, that's what I think about is that like, um, a friend said that to me uh, recently that like, uh, the only wars that happened, you know, in the past like decade uh, in Israel are uh, are campaign tools. That they're like that, you know. Uh, Netanyahu goes to war against Palestinians to help him win the next election. <coughs> I didn't believe it, so I put him on a timeline, and it turns out that they're right on top of each other. Oh, so this is your meme. It's my meme. It's really powerful. It, yeah. Um, I want to show you one more thing. This is a meme. Again, we're going to say loose. We're going to loosely call it a meme. It's a boomer meme. Um, that my actual literal booby posted. And that last one, she mine is. Oh, no, she did post that one as well. Um, so I want to share this one with you. Um,. <coughs> Share. What do you say? Okay, I see a meme from Occupy Democrats. Um, from October sixteenth, two thousand eighteen, and I see uh, a picture of um. It looks like Native Americans from uh, like varying ages, and uh, someone. One of them is a, a child holding a basketball, and and in a variety of that regalia. Says, yes, um, 
And so text below that says, only in a country this twisted could the original inhabitants of this land be rendered unable to vote because they are perceived to not have proper residency in their own homelands. First of all, not concise. And then the text. Yeah, no, it it is um, (laughs) not. Um, So... um, I'm going to pause very quickly yeah. and grab my computer charger oh, yes. so that uh, we don't. Yeah. Lose you. Okay. I'm back. Great. Uh, <clears throat> okay. I feel like I'm ready to. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So, and now the post text says, uh, and I'll read this uh, as it is um, shameful. Wait, sorry, it is all caps, so shameful. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, uh, the Supreme Court just allowed North Dakota to ban from voting anyone who doesn't have a residential street address. Most Native Americans in the region use P.O. boxes because they live in remote areas. The Native Americans were the last to gain the right to vote and are now the first to have it taken away. Um, This is infuriating. And... Also, you said that your Bubby shared both of yeah, these? Yeah, so she shared this less than a month before she shared that other one. What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I guess the preface here is I love my Bubby. I think she's, generally mm-hmm. speaking, very cool. Uh, she doesn't take shit from anyone she's um a feminist and also she is a like sort of party line democrat um like she posts a lot of memes about how hillary clinton is her true president and about how terrible donald trump is um which is you know some boomer shit it's classic um i mean I remember when this happened uh, at the election, and that is an absolute crime. Um, I mean, it's literally speaking a crime, uh, and it's a moral crime. Uh, Voter disenfranchisement is a huge problem and has been growing in this country. Mm -hmm. And to me, when I think about this in the context of all of the things that she says about Israel and about Palestinians, I, I find it infuriating because there are indigenous people in Palestine who, first of all, there, yes, there were Jews there many, many years ago and like, Finding some archaeology to demonstrate that doesn't really mean jack shit. Um, There were people who were there prior to the 1948 founding of the state of Israel by the British government, which was a sort of um, almost like an apology to European Jews about the Holocaust. Like, we're sorry, this was really bad. You deserve your own place to go. Here's an ethno state. 
Whoops, it's already on top of a bunch of other people. And at that time, there were Jews living in Palestine, and those people were living relatively peacefully uh, next door to Palestinian Arabs. I mean, they were Palestinian Jews. Um, to take those indigenous inhabitants um, and forcibly remove them from their homes and move them into small areas of the country or of the land and then by way of war and government continue to shrink those areas is incredibly reminiscent of the way that the United States government treated indigenous American people um, with the creation mm -hmm. of reservations and pushing people onto reservations and um, denying resources. With one compromise, you know, and then a, a broken compromise and then a, a more war. And in that war, they seized more land. And, right. But it was just for self-defense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think that the parallels are really, really striking. And I find... The idea that you could be on the right side of indigenous rights, at least in this case here in the U.S., and then be so against, like, Palestinian mm. human rights is just, ah, ah, it makes me so mad. Yeah. And it makes me feel like, She's so close. And I think so many people in our community are, like, so close. Yeah. They're, like, you know, protesting the wall. Yeah. They're, like, walls are bad. You know, and they're protesting walls. Yeah. Just only here. Yeah. You know, there's, like, one really rather large wall. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing when, like, you know, our community doesn't get the similarity. I mean, like, but Trump's, like, holding it up. He's like, walls are great. It, walls work great for Israel. Yeah, he's actually saying that um, shit. And he's looking at contracting the same is, company that yeah, built that a, wall to build his freakishly long border wall that's not going to happen ideally yeah um yeah but this is i feel like this is kind of like a step further in the uh disconnect so like yeah this is really striking um also my dog is not playing tug of war oh that's you, really you, cute uh, um i have yeah. to end screen sharing so i can see this um oh, oh i can't see it it doesn't matter Thank you so much for being on this. Hi. Hi, Rosa. This is very cute. Is that a sock? Uh, it is a squirrel or a raccoon or something, which she long ago oh, destroyed. Uh, but like a stuffed um, one, not a like real one. Yeah, yeah, the stuffed one. Um, that is a good clarifying question for the people who may uh, hear this and not see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, thank you so much for joining me for this first episode of the Wedge <coughs> Podcast. Um, 
hopefully it will. Yeah. Thank you for going on uh, that journey with me through the most uh, rambling story of why Bill Badudo is pissing me off. Um, oh, one uh, more shout out about why, why Bill Padudo is a horrible mayor is um, in 2014, he went on Undercover Boss uh, <laughs> to learn why his own employees as mayor uh, were struggling to get by. And, um, you know, one, like many of his employees have unions. They have like this thing called collective bargaining for that. Um but also, like, if you have to put on a fake beard and a wig to, like, learn the conditions of, like, you know, the job that you were, like, elected to lead, um, that's pretty bad. Uh, even worse is, uh, you know, one of the people's struggle was that, like, she was barely making ends meet. And the public school sucks, so she wanted to send her kids to uh, private school. And, you know, instead of being like, I'm going to fix the public schools to, to fix that for you, I'm going to give you... a and everybody else in the department of Ray's, uh, he was like, I'm going to give you the money so you can send your kid to private school. And she, and you know, that was supposed to make him look like a good guy. Um, yeah, but you know, he's the mayor. Um, yeah. Anyway, he does a media opportunity a when he sees it. Um, speaking of media opportunities for Bill Peduto, uh, if someone is particularly angry at him, where can they tweet at Bill Peduto? Uh, at Bill Pedito, that's B-I-L-L-P-E-D-U-T-O. He is a big fan of responding to tweets. Um, and, you know. Uh, so get up in there. Have at it. He probably will respond to you. And uh, if people want to tweet at you or follow you on various social medias? My uh, thing on the social medias is... Uh, it's like my name, but with no A and two I's. Um, so it's Matthew Rubin. <laughs> uh, that's M-T-T-H-E-W-R-U-B-I-I-N. Uh, it is how they spelled my name, misspelled my name in my uh, senior yearbook in high school. My friends made fun of me for it. And I was like, I'm going to reclaim that. And now it's my name on all the social medias and I'm stuck with it. Excellent. Thank so, you very much, Matt. Thank you. listening to the wedge podcast my name is jenny Walka. i'm the producer of the wedge the wedge is co-produced and sound edited by kirby jays and our music comes from bread internet if you enjoyed the show please feel free to like subscribe uh review us on itunes and share us on your various social media platforms you can find the wedge podcast at thewedgecast at gmail.com and at wedge underscore podcast on twitter thank you and bye